Welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. With me today is Ryan McDowell, the godfather of Dynasty, all things Dynasty. You can find him on Twitter at RyanMC23. He is the co-owner of my favorite website, Dynasty Football. It is instrumental in my process across the board. He is the host of the Locked On Dynasty podcast, the DLF podcast host or a guest on basically every podcast in the world. <laughs> anyway, am I missing anything, Ryan? Is, did I get it all? I think you got most of it there. Yeah, you got most of it. How, how's it going, Drew? Good to be on with you uh, today. Things are going good, man. The first uh, first week of the season was exciting. I want to just quickly dive into some uh, some current events in week one, the 49ers had mm. perhaps the most bizarre start to any fantasy season we've ever seen. What do you make of like the Trey Sermon healthy scratch? Like I, he was going in the first round of one QB dynasty league or dynasty rookie drafts. And then he got healthy scratch in week one. Have you ever seen that before? Not, not that I recall, not a player that, uh, you know, that, that, I guess we could say that it was that high profile that, um, I mean, he was in my starting lineup in, uh, in the Scott fishbowl. <laughs> so, um, maybe that, maybe that says more about my team than it does about, about Trey Sermon. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this was a guy that, that we were expecting at, at least, uh, you know, even early in the year to, to play a role, right. To, to be in that timeshare and, that's what the preseason told us as well. That's uh, everything that we heard from beat uh, beat reporters, everything that we saw in preseason ourselves. And we had we had a longer gap between preseason and the, the regular season than I think than we've ever had before, certainly in, in quite some time. Uh, you just wonder what happened in that that week and a half that that changed things that pushed him down uh, down the, the depth chart. So I, I don't know. I did um, had some conversations and, and it sounds like there was a little little bit of you know looking at the looking at the matchup with the lions and thinking we're good here you know let's let's make sure the rookie knows he has to you know earn his stripes he has to uh, keep working hard you know all that kind of stuff so basically a, a motivational ploy i mean i get that and that could certainly be the issue but that that's not a good sign either right like e- even if that's all it is that's that's also a bad thing um, man, it's just, it's just crazy that the 49ers, I feel like we're at the, at the center of the two biggest dynasty stories of week one. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, I, I had sent a message to the patrons back in, I don't remember when it was in the off season at some point when they were, everybody was all excited about Trey Sermon. I was like, no, like he's not, he's not my guy. Like just don't do it. And right. I had made a, a comp- what I thought was a compelling argument that you should not be drafting Trey Sermon. And then I had said, there's a chance this guy doesn't even get on the field. And I I, I didn't mean it like he's not going to get on the field. I was just like, there's a lot of guys in his bucket that don't get on the field. Right. And then, and then he didn't even play. I was like, holy <laughs> like, was like you, you didn't, you didn't know how You didn't know how right you were going to be on that one. Um, yeah, but then the 49ers just ruined my day as well because then I was in like the same breath. I'm like, you need Brandon Ayuk. Mm. Brandon Ayuk's the truth. You got to get Brandon Ayuk, and now I look like a fool. W- what's the story of him? Is he is he coming back? Should we be punting him? What are we doing? It, it doesn't sound good. Uh, certainly, <laughs> you know the Shanahan's comments that um, I mean, Shanahan seemed frustrated with him. That which is never a good sign, right? Uh, the, I guess the good thing is, I mean, maybe maybe the coaching staff thinks they have the depth to 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 play this game, but they really don't. I mean, we know what Muhammad Sanu is. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe Trent Sherfield is is this breakout, but I don't really think so. I mean, I think he's you know he's he's an ancillary, he's a depth guy. Uh, he he is what he is. So I don't feel like they can play this game for long. Uh, 
uh, with with Brandon Ayuk. But to hear them to hear Shanahan say things like he's got to show he's better than the guy behind him, it it does. It does give me Dante Pettis vibes, and and I've I've seen some other people say that as well. But I I fell for Dante Pettis. You know what was it three or four years ago now? And we were we were drafting him. We we the collective dynasty community, right? We were drafting him higher than he deserved in off season uh, startups, and then the regular or the preseason comes, and we're hearing these stories about uh, you know he's he's far down the depth chart, or he's he's a backup right now, and. And even then, I mean, I remember thinking, nah, just basically ignoring that, you know, thinking, thinking somehow what I, what I thought or what I knew was, was, was more important or, or more <laughs> correct. And obviously that was far from the case. And I mean, we, we never really heard from Dante Pettis again. Now, I don't think it's the same situation. I mean, we're talking about a first round wide receiver uh, who did. Uh, he, he impressed in his rookie season, uh, and you can talk about the situation with with his competition being out of the lineup. I do think that's a a big factor. Uh, but if if we were talking just straight by or sell, I I would have been closer to your corner uh, this off season. So I'm I'm a little worried as well. Yeah, it's it's funny because the, the Dante Pettis thing it was a build up though. Like it wasn't right. It wasn't out of left field. Like they you know the first game or the first preseason game he didn't, he didn't really I forget, I can't remember the first preseason game he didn't play that much or he didn't do that much. But then he progressively I think the third preseason game he even played into the second half and people were like no it's fine and I was like, like right starters yeah. don't play the second half guys yeah like, I was I was one of the ones saying it was fine and it was clearly <laughs> not fine but. I mean, we're, we have gotten a little bit of that build up here too, though, because uh, I can't remember if it was the second or third preseason game. We saw Ayuk rotate in and out with Sherfield. He did not, oh. he was not the clear starter or, you know, he was, he was not lining up with, with Debo every time or, or whatever. So that, that was a little bit of a hint. And then he had, uh, mm. I think the hamstring issue came after that. So mm. I, Again, I then, we, I, yeah, we, we kind of ignored that. Yeah, <laughs> I must have just been, you know, rose-colored glasses because I was all in on Ayuk and I just yeah. missed all that because I, I thought it came out of left field. It was like who what, I, I saw a Sherfield catch the first touchdown pass. I was like, well, that's that's Brandon Ayuk's spot. What are you doing? And yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it was uh, you're totally right that that the Pettis thing was more telegraphed. I mean, we heard a lot a lot of coach speak about that. What you know, it kind of frustrated me on Sunday afternoon because it was uh, it felt like it was like one thirty in the afternoon. You know, after after kickoff, and then here come the beat reporters dropping these tweets about right? about Sermon and about Ayuk, and I'm thinking you know, that would have been helpful a couple hours ago <laughs> to know these things. Um, so I don't know if, I mean, they, they had to have known. I, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. It, it, it really felt like it was like, they were like, they didn't even know. And they were like making up a story that backed it up or something. But yeah, I don't know. Like maybe I was just rose colored glasses, missed it all. And it was all right there to see and just chose to ignore it. But we do, on, we, we do that sometimes <laughs> on the plus side out of this 49ers team. We did get Elijah Mitchell breakout game. See, is, is he here to stay? What are you thinking? Um, I, I think he's here to stay. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, I've seen a lot of assumptions that he's, he's the RB one in this offense moving forward. And, and he certainly might be, but I mean, what we knew about the 49ers backfield, even when, when Mostert was healthy, when, even when Jeff Wilson was healthy a month ago or six weeks ago, we knew we were going to see all of these guys, right? And we know Shanahan likes to rotate backs. We know a couple of those guys have a, have a pretty ugly in, injury history. So it's, it, it's almost a week by week thing. And now Mostert's gone, Wilson's gone, 
And, and to to assume that we know now is kind of silly to me. Uh, I, I mentioned it on Twitter uh, earlier this week. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Trey Sermon leads this team in rushing this coming Sunday. That would not be a surprise if he's the uh, if he's the the leading rusher on this team by the end of the season. That wouldn't be a surprise to me either. I'm I'm with you. I don't think he's necessarily a special talent. If if he pops over the next couple weeks, few couple months, he would be a sell candidate for me. I think I would maybe say the same thing about Mitchell uh, just because of of that backfield. I, I also saw somebody say it's a backfield to avoid. I think that's crazy because no matter who it is, they produce. So I, I want the pieces. I just want to sell high when I get the chance. Absolutely. I think it's a... My, my approach with this kind of thing is always, yes, it's a backfield to avoid when you're buying the most expensive guy. Right. But as soon as I can get the cheapest guy, I want that guy. Like, give me give me the next guy who rotates onto the taxi squad every time with San Francisco. I don't care who it is. And that, like, that was my approach this year with Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell. I was like, well, I don't want Trey Sermon at first round pick prices but pretty interested in elijah mitchell in the fourth round mm-hmm. like i'm into that and now that elijah mitchell popped up i'm like well i mean see what you can get i'm not uh if he plays again and he, he gets the carries he's gonna produce we know that right you, like you said trey sermon could be the guy this week and it could be elijah mitchell two weeks from now and it could be jamichael hasty at some point and like <laughs> some guy we've never heard of yet is probably going to pop up on the taxi squad at some point and he's going to eventually work his way into the lineup and have a big week here or there so. i think uh i think it was san francisco that added cannon right did did they i think Baltimore dumped Trenton Cannon, and I'm pretty sure San Francisco grabbed him. Sounds uh, like the guy we need to be adding. There you go. He, he's he's cheap for sure. He's the cheapest. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so this is a, a process-based podcast where we want to learn how to play. Teach us how to fish is essentially the, the goal here. So you have coined – I think I'm correct in saying that you have coined the term productive struggle? Uh, Yes. Sort of. I, I have uh, I've adapted the term to the fantasy football world. I'll say oh, okay. that. Um, okay. So that's yeah, that's that's an actually an education educational term. Uh, I'm a teacher, oh, okay. and <laughs> and that's that's where the term originates. Uh, I, I wish I knew who actually coined it. I, I should know that by now. But um, yeah, but it, I, I pretty much stole the term and applied it to how I play dynasty because it it represented. Uh, that that strategy, that team building uh, focus and, and way to attack a, a dynasty startup so well that uh, w- when I heard it or, or or at least at least paid attention to it, I'm sure I'd heard it m- many times before. But yeah, it, it it was just perfect. That's nice. So, like, how long have you been doing the productive struggle for? Like, when did this kind of strategy originate? Uh, I mean, I was. I was using that strategy before I called it that strategy. Um, so, I mean, 2010, 2012, basically every, <laughs> yeah, uh, quite a while. Every, every team I was drafting, I was pretty much drafting the same way at that point. Um, and, and we can get into that, but you know, then it's, it's the end of the school year uh, in 2014, I believe 2014 and I'm sitting in a meeting. Nobody wants to be there. You know, it's you're, you're ready for summer break. And the speaker uses this term productive struggle. And I, I mean, immediately I grab my notebook and, and start writing notes. I'm sure they were very impressed. But uh, <laughs> if they had, if they had seen that they were all that the notes were all about uh, about dynasty fantasy football, maybe not so much. Uh, but yeah, I, I knew that's what I did. You know, I, okay. I certainly my plan was certainly to struggle. 
uh, in the early going, uh, but it was a productive struggle. It was a struggle with with a goal and an endpoint in mind. Um, and it's funny because I, I've seen that term mentioned and, and used and applied a lot to bad dynasty teams. And, you know, just, just like uh, not every student who is struggling in a classroom is a productive struggle. Not every bad dynasty team is a productive struggle either. Some of them are just bad dynasty teams. Some of them are just <laughs> struggling students who, um, if you if you leave them on their own, they're they're not going to be productive, uh, at least in the, in that moment. So they need a little more support, a little more push, and, and some of these dynasty teams do as well. Gotcha. So t- so tell us about the strategy. How does it work? So again, I, I was doing this ten years ago, basically before before the term and. Uh, bef- before I applied the term, basically I'm, I was just drafting super young players. That that's the very most generic way to just to, to say it. And and you know now in dynasty that doesn't sound like a very uh, you know unique strategy. I mean that's what everybody's doing basically. And uh, but thinking back to that time, I, I don't know how long you've been playing dynasty, Drew, but um, that that was pretty unique. You know uh, we were dynasty was start, certainly still growing at that point. Lots of converts from redraft, and you would—I uh, mean, you would see a 28, 29-year-old Ladanian Tomlinson be the 101 in dynasty startups, uh, and same thing for all, really, all of those running backs that were, um, you know, the, at the top of their game at that point. Now that's going back even further. We're talking like 2006, 07 uh, for that. But yeah, so when I wrote the article, the Productive Struggle article uh, in the summer of 2014, it was based around uh, drafting heavily around, uh, drafting youth heavily, avoiding the running back uh, almost altogether. Uh, at about that same time, Sean Siegel had written the, the zero running back strategy uh, or article. Uh, I, I think that was first on Rotoviz, I believe. But uh, of course, that has obviously, you know, become a mainstay in, in the fantasy space. Um, so a lot of my ideas were were kind of involved, you know, kind of included that as well, because at that point, the running back landscape was ugly. It was horrible. And if you were drafting running backs early in a startup draft, the best case is you were getting one or two years out of those guys. That was the best case. Um, so it, it seemed obvious to me to build around wide receivers, build around youth, build around those assets that were going to gain value, uh, which also included rookie draft picks. So trading down in, in the startup draft, acquiring future draft picks, those were all small pieces of the strategy. And, and and again, now those have become commonplace. You know, everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to trade down. Everybody wants future picks. So in some ways, it's become hard to to replicate that strategy, you know, six or seven years later. It's it's funny. Even two years ago, I felt like I had no problems trading down on a startup draft. Mm-hmm. This past year, I feel like it, w- it was near impossible. Like you had right. to like be out pounding the pavement trying to find somebody to trade trade up. And it was two like even two years ago, I felt like you'd in a startup draft throw out a message. Hey, anybody want to trade up here? And there'd be two or three takers now it's like hey anybody want to trade up here crickets you have to like yeah. go around hey are you sure you don't want to trade up here like there's probably somebody you like and it's it's a, it's a struggle to now get the future draft picks in startup drafts but uh, I, yeah. I love it. 
It really is. And, and uh, I guess I left out kind of the, the namesake of the strategy, the productive struggle. When, when you're doing all those things, and again, I'm going back seven or eight or 10 years, when you're doing all those things and you're focused on, you know, you're not worried about running back at all. You're basically punting that position, focused on wide receiver, focused on young players. You're probably going to lose in year one and probably lose a lot and, and often. Um, so really part of the strategy is, yes, I'm going to lose in year one. I'm, I'm basically punting away year one. But one thing that comes from that is I'm going to get a high draft pick. So now I'm adding a top 20, typically by, by our ADP data, you're t- adding a top 20 asset to your team a year later. And the ideal way to do a productive struggle is last place in year one and first place in, in year two. And I've, I've been able to pull that off a few times. Yeah, I, I have a similar like similar strategy. I guess you you punt the first year. I don't care how my team does. I don't do you do you just focus on youth all the way through the startup draft or do you ever flip to taking veterans? Um it's almost almost exclusively youth, but I would say uh, I would say I'm drafting players that I think can gain value. Um, so if that's a, you know, if that happens to be a uh, 28-year-old uh, tight end, you know, maybe last maybe last year you get Logan Thomas. You, you look at him and think he could gain value. Um, even some of these players that we've seen uh, out of the league, whether it's Andrew Luck, uh, Josh Gordon, you know, Rob Gronkowski, you're talking about different levels of success with those types of picks. Uh, but if you're late enough in the draft, yes, certainly those are players that can can offer you a really, uh, really strong ROI on that draft pick. I, I have an, uh, an obscene amount of Andrew Luck still rostered on my yeah. teams because I'm like, you know, the, the chances that the guy that I pick up off waivers does anything remotely is pretty slim. Yeah. The chances that Andrew Luck comes back and is instantly valuable either through production or through just trade value. Right. It, like it's it's a given if he comes back he may not come back but as soon as he does i have a tangible piece that has immediate value that i cannot wait to either well depending on how the public reality that's it's really what buys and sells comes down to right? is how, how does yep. the public react to it yep because if the public is out over their skis being like andrew lux a quarterback one in dynasty again then yeah i'm gonna trade him but if they're like yeah he's three years cool. removed from retirement and i'm like okay well nobody wants him i'll i'll see what happens well i mean we we have seen it play out and and obviously we're talking about small percentages at this point i mean i'm yeah i'm, I'm probably starting to give up on on luck coming back but i mean we saw it with gronk he came back and he was immediately valuable in dynasty leagues when, when he came back last year i had i had moved him kind of or i put him quite high i think i think i had him as like a top 10 tight end mm-hmm. and people were like what are you doing like he's not good he was but he was bad last year he played he's been retired and i was like well these guys don't come back to sit on the bench like right. gronkowski is going to be a tight end one as long as he plays as soon as he's not capable of doing that he's going to retire again there's no way that he comes back to play bench warmer like it's just not in a play, player like that Yep. So anyways, I find uh, one of the things I really like to do in, in Dynasty Startup Drafts along the same lines of what you do, and I think you actually pointed this out to me a few years ago, is that when because I, I, I use your Dynasty ADP as my uh, like barometer for my ADP trends analysis. And one thing you pointed out was that depending on the time of year, veterans move up and down in the ADP. In season, oh, yeah. they're quite a bit higher than they are in the off season. So if I'm doing a early season startup draft, after we get through the second round picks, like once I can't get a second round pick anymore and like within the startup draft, I start looking at the veterans and I'm like, well, which guy can I trade in season for a second round pick? Because that's really my goal is just get as much like premium draft capital as I can one way or the other. I, yeah, think- I mean, I think you have to think about it all as a as an ROI thing. And sometimes that comes in trades or sometimes that 
comes via production on your team. But yeah, I think that's a, a smart way to look at it. That you know, the issue is especially if we're if you're drafting early, if you're drafting in um, you know, let's say before the NFL combine in in late February, it's tough to draft, oh, I don't know, like DeAndre Hopkins, right? It's tough to draft DeAndre Hopkins and then hold him for six or seven months. Um, <laughs> we just we we get a little antsy. We want to make moves and and sometimes that goes you know, it it hurts us. Yeah, the, the the period after startup drop before the season is like unbearable for me because everybody's yeah. pretty happy with their team. So you just kind of like sit on your hands and you're like, I just need something to happen so that I can make a trade. <laughs> yeah, all right, well, that's great. Uh, thanks, thanks for sharing this strategy with us. This is uh, has been inspirational for a lot of the way that I played Dynasty. So we had week one. There is, and, and this is an interesting thing about Dynasty is that really once we get to the season, it's redraft. Like mm -hmm. players' values move up and down every single week and like a lot oftentimes. Right. So who are you pressing the panic button on? Who are who are you completely out on from the rookie class after week one? Is there anyone that you're just like, whoa, that is that is not what I was that's not what I signed up for? Uh, there's a couple guys that come to mind. Um and one of them is is kind of the layup of this question. Uh, Kadarius Tony. I mean, I, I, I already, right. I was already worried. Um, and what we saw in week one certainly didn't help that. So he, he's kind of his own category. Um, Trey Sermon would obviously fit into this category as well. Uh, we already talked about him. Uh, I think we have to be worried about Najee Harris. Now I certainly would not say that I'm all out. Absolutely not. Um, because I think a lot of what made him, the 101 in most rookie drafts, a lot of what made him a first rounder in Dynasty ADP currently uh, is is still true, right? He's still going to get that volume, um, and and obviously that's still a talented talented player. But it's like we knew all these narratives with really both Harris and and the the three wide receivers, right? That we saw them, and Juju is probably the exception, but we saw. Johnson and Claypool and Harris just climb in value steadily all off season. And people would talk about the terrible offensive line. People would talk about Ben Roethlisberger is, is over the hill, right? He's done. People would talk about there's competition for these wide receivers. Do they cancel each other out? So we, we knew about all these things. It's kind of back to the, the conversation about Pettis and Ayuk. Like we had all these hints and we just ignored them and, and kept spending on them. Uh, and, and, and their value kept increasing. So, I mean, we saw what happened on Sunday, and that doesn't mean that's gonna, what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Of course, that's what makes that's what makes the season fun and dynasty fun. And they, Pittsburgh was playing a, a strong defense with the Bills, so I, I don't think every game is going to be like that. But he didn't have the volume. You know, he didn't he didn't get there, even though they were winning uh, at least in in the second half for most of that most of that. Uh, fourth quarter and so on. He, he still didn't get the huge workload we were hoping for. So yeah, not, not quite panic button, but at least thinking about it. Yeah. I, I couldn't get over the parallels between Najee Harris and Clyde Edwards Hilaire for me. Mm. I, I like both guys are fine. I, I, I don't dislike either player, but both guys just got launched into this stratosphere where I was like, wait, Hey, they're not perfect prospects. Like they're, they're, they're good. They're fine. Yeah, we're not talking about Saquon Barkley here. Like we, uh, Najee Harris was like borderline top five value, and but, yeah, that's what really? I was going to say. In, in in our ADP uh, at DLF, he got up to RB six, so it was, yeah. uh, you know, it was 
McCaffrey and Cook and Kamara and Barkley and um, I don't know who I'm forgetting, but anyway, he was he maybe he was five, <laughs> but he he was the ne- he was next in line after those guys. I think a part of that, especially late in the offseason, part of what that push was uh, were the injuries, right? Because if you're late in the first round, early in the second round, you want one of those good young running backs that you think you can plug in for five years, which is kind of a fallacy on its own, but that's another story. But, it, you know, you want one of these cornerstone running backs and now it's not acres and now it's not Dobbins. And now it's not ETN was a, a little bit lower in, in ADP, but it's not ETN. So it, it's not quite a last man standing thing, but I think that certainly helped the value of help push the value up for Najee Harris. And it was the same thing for Javante Williams and, and other players that were in that range. Yeah, no, that's, that's funny that I never thought about it in the terms of like the other guys got hurt and necessarily somebody has to move up. Interestingly enough, JK Dobbins, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, all 22 year old bulletproof running backs out for the season before we even get to the (sighs) kickoff. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, get DeAndre Swift and bubble wrap. Get Taylor bubble wrap. This is crazy. It, I mean, it's so frustrating and I, I don't get upset anymore. I, I don't know how, I don't know what about me changed that this is the case, but I'm glad it is. I don't get upset anymore when these guys get hurt from a selfish perspective. You know, my, my first thought is not, oh, I've got him on my favorite dynasty team or I've got him on every team I have, or, you know, I, I eventually think about that, but that's not my first thought. But with the, with those three, especially, it's like, gosh, I just really wanted to watch Cam Akers right? play this year, you know, with Matt Stafford and uh, it was, it was going to be the year. That's what it felt like. And and uh, in similar way, same th- same thing for Dobbins. And, you know, so those are just three fun, exciting players that I, I wanted to watch this year. And that's, for me, that's the most frustrating part. And, and then it doesn't help if I've got them on a few dynasty teams either. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. It, it, like, it degrades the product, right? Like, now we have mm. to watch players that we probably didn't really want to watch <laughs> play football. Now we get to watch Carlos side. Now we get to, oh gosh, now we get to watch Carlos side. So, uh, which which rookie was like announced themselves as the truth in week one for you? Was there anyone that just confirmed all your biases? You're throwing caution to the wind and paying the iron price, whatever it may be. Uh, I mean, it's, it's got to be Chase. I, I never, I never bought into you know the the different ball and the drops and 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 all of that. I mean, everything that we knew prior to let's say a month ago to me was still true. And I felt like that was confirmed already. You know, he's already the wide receiver one. We were calling him the wide receiver one on Cincinnati and a dynasty wide receiver one back in April and May and June after, or May and June, I guess, after the draft, after we knew the landing spot. Yeah. Uh, and then we, I don't know, maybe we had too much time on our hands. We, we had to poke holes that really shouldn't have been there. So, yeah, I mean, I, certainly all in on, on chase. I don't I actually don't know. If I have him on any teams, I need well, to, I need to change that. Like a blessing in disguise. It probably means you're drafting a little bit later than where he was available. Uh, that's, that's, break. Ah, I was drafting yeah. too late to get any chase. Sorry. <laughs> I, oh, I need to make some trades though. There you go. Yeah, no, I, I think like, I found it hilarious that he had that interview like a week before the season where he's, ah, oh, you know, the balls are a little bit bigger and there's, there's no stripes on the ball. So it's hard to see. I'm like, come, Jamar, like, come on, Jamar. Yeah. Every 
wide receiver in the history of football has went from college to the NFL. They've dealt with the same thing and they're not dropping the ball. Just say you drop the ball. Like, yeah. it's fine. We're, we know drops don't matter. It's okay. But he was making excuses. Like, yeah, whatever makes him feel better. He's going to come back and be great because that's what good players do. So now I have the, uh, like, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. What is going on with Urban Meyer? I, oh. I, is he going to make it through the season? Is he leaving oh, for no. USC? Is no, he no, no. going to get fired? What's going on? I don't think he makes it through the season. Um, I mean, this guy, it, it, anytime trouble has, has come his way, he's, he's basically run. You know, he's basically, he's basically given up. Uh, I mean, obviously a very successful head coach in college. He, he won at Bowling Green. He won at Utah. He won at Florida. He won at Ohio State. He won at all those places. 17-year uh, head coaching career. He only had one season where he lost more. his team lost more than three games. And after that season, he quit. And, and there was a lot, of, a, a lot of controversy in that because, you know, the stories came out afterwards about how he treated players, about what he covered up. Uh, as far as some sexual assault stuff, some uh, positive drug tests, you know, just just some pretty ugly stuff. And then, you know, without knowing all of that, just looking at how he's handled this team uh, this year, the, the Tim Tebow stuff. I mean, I, I love Tim Tebow. I, I think he's great. But that was still that like that was a farce. You know, that was ridiculous <laughs> um, and, and just made I mean, he's just setting himself up for, you know, to be the butt of these jokes, I guess. And. Uh, the quarterback thing was terrible. Calling it a a, a quarterback uh, competition was also a joke. And then giving up Minshew for nothing, basically nothing has gone right. And I um, mean, we talked about ETN. That was another uh, another strike. I love ETN, but I don't think he's a first round uh, NFL draft pick, especially with this team. Who uh, you know, say what you will about James Robinson, he I would say he is serviceable. And for that team that did not have playoff aspirations, or at least they shouldn't. If they're being realistic, they should have just trotted out James Robinson for another year. And if you want to sign Carlos Hyde, that that's fine too. But to spend that draft capital on on ETN was horrible. So no, I, I don't think he makes it through the year at all. I'm sure he's um, he's starting to have some health issues, you know, as we speak here. <laughs> yeah, he he's been a colossal disaster. Like right from day one, like picking ETN was bad, and then being like like going into the media and saying, "Oh, I wish we would have got Kadarius Tony." Was like what? <laughs> yeah like, the, the only pick you could have made worse than travis Etienne was taking tony like come on man he's just and, and then the fact they already had lavisca chenault who plays that role pretty right. well he's yeah. like what like what was the point you already had that you already had james robinson like this isn't a deep team that has no holes that you can afford luxury picks in the first round like it was, it was just crazy yeah i think we talked about being frustrated with the the season ending injuries i would say it's uh, it's the same thing with this team. I'm frustrated that Trevor Lawrence and LaVisca Chenault and, and DJ Chark have to deal with this, this situation. It, it almost feels like, like a season ending injury on its own. <laughs> the whole team has a season ending injury for fantasy. Just yeah. do not start them. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, like, how can you walk into a job and get Trevor Lawrence and then, and do this? Like, it's just crazy. Absolutely yeah. crazy. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about um, you know the the ownership there. The the Khan family, I believe, is is still who it is. They, they seem like they've been pretty loyal over the years. Um, I, I hope that's not a negative in this situation. <laughs> um, but I, I guess we'll see. I, I I would be shocked if he's the the head coach in in January or or even earlier than that. Honestly. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So as you know, I, I'm a big fan of looking at splits and trying to determine which splits matter. Which mm. So there was a split, a very interesting split that happened in the Monday Nighter. Okay. Would you, would you be more interested in the first 59 minutes and 30 seconds or the last 30 <laughs> seconds of the game? Uh, that That's a fun one. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I would have to say, well, you know, honestly, I, th I think it's kind of dependent on game situation, you know, because <laughs> we did see, we saw in that, that Monday night game, uh, we, we saw Brian Edwards make, make the late impact. I'm, I'm guessing that's what you're referring to. That might be it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and you know, you can, if you're a Brian Edwards guy, you can pat yourself on the back or feel good about that or, or whatever. And, and, I, I like Brian Edwards okay, so I, I hope that leads to a bigger role, um, you know, in week two and moving forward. But I also would have liked if we had seen that more consistently throughout the game. Um, as far as your specific question, I, I think you can kind of look at it different ways. In that game, the last 30 seconds and and then into, into overtime where it was super important. The game was on the line. We also saw... In week one, we saw Daniel Jones score a rushing touchdown with, I don't know, seconds left on the clock, maybe maybe a couple minutes. I'm not sure. We saw Marvin Jones save his fantasy day with a late touchdown. So do those really matter? No, of course not. They matter to us, right? Uh, hopefully you weren't <laughs> starting Daniel Jones, but um, but Marvin Jones was in some lineups. So big picture, do those matter? No. Uh, it, 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 didn't, it didn't score any different because it was late in the game, but it, you know, it, it if you're talking about Edwards, if you're talking about Marvin Jones, like, okay, I, I wish, I wish that was more consistent throughout the game. Yeah. I think it, it might, the question was about Edwards. So you, you didn't nail it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think for me, it's like, well, if he was being targeted earlier and it just wasn't working, you know, like he just didn't make right. the catch, whatever, that's fine. At least he was getting targeted, but it was like, the game is basically like desperation mode. And they finally looked to him. But what's interesting about that too, is just like, a minute or two before that, they finally also looked at Henry Ruggs. They haven't looked at yeah. Ruggs all game either. So it was like, ah, I don't know, like maybe they just couldn't throw well, Darren Waller anymore. Like he had 20 targets almost. I was going to say, it became a joke that, um, you know, how many targets Waller was getting. I, I, I tweeted about that. Darren Waller got 19 targets. The entire Saints team got 21. So um, <laughs> obviously Waller's your best, your, your best player in that offense. But at some point, you've got to get some help from your receivers. You've got these two guys that you invested um, day one, day two picks in, and you got almost nothing from them as rookies. Uh, not even really a you know a glimmer of hope for the future. And then you you do almost nothing to upgrade that spot either. Uh, coming into year two for those guys, so I, I just don't get it there. But I don't get a lot of the things that Gruden does. Um, I think he's right there with uh, Urban Meyer, and in, in like oh. just doesn't make sense. Like I remember. Uh, Two years ago, I think it was it to Cleland Farrell fourth oh, overall, yeah. Yeah. and the night before the draft, uh, Mayock is on TV or I don't know where he's saying it, but we're gonna we're gonna surprise people with our pick at four tomorrow. It's like what if if you're if people are gonna be surprised, trade back, man! Like somebody yeah. wants that pick to take a good player. Well, that, I mean that, that's kind of become yeah, cut, it's kind of become a sorry, it's kind of become a running joke about that they're going to pick a guy 20 picks too early. And yeah. I mean, some of those players have been, have, have worked out. A lot of them have not uh, because they were second rounders, <laughs> second round talents. <laughs> um, yeah. That, that, that's another, just stay away. I mean, Darren Waller is, is the man, but outside of him, I, I don't really want much of that, that uh, Vegas offense.
Yeah, that was that was I guess that was part of the the unappeal to me with Brian Edwards. It was like, well, we probably think he's or we should think he's probably not very good because he wasn't very good last year. And then Darren Waller's really good. We know that because he's done it for two consecutive years now. And then we're fighting over who's gonna be the second best receiver in a Derek Carr offense. Like I where where is the appeal here? <laughs> yeah, I mean bottom line, they weren't good as rookies. And and we see, you know, we'll see we'll see players pop up and if you say something uh, along these lines, you'll always get the examples. You know, what about DJ Chark? What about Tyler Boyd? Like, yeah, I mean, those it happens. But I, I don't think I, I think you're if you're selling disappointing rookies at seventy five cents on the dollar, sixty cents on the dollar, based on what you paid, you're gonna you're gonna come out ahead, big picture every time. And and maybe those guys pop in year three or year four, or if it's Corey Davis or Devonte Parker, maybe it's year six or seven. Uh, but you've already spent that, you know, those two second rounders that you got for for him or, or whatever the case might be. So I, I don't know. I totally agree. So when you were looking at, uh, you know, win now teams, I always try to acquire cheap veterans. I don't really like buying mm-hmm. the like prime age superstars. They're too expensive. Yep. But there's always that cheap veteran that you can buy that that always, you know, they're. The production outweighs the cost. Is kind of how I look at it. Was there a veteran that you were kind of on the on the fence for coming into the season? You're like, I think I might want to get him, but I he also might be you know old and bad. <laughs> that convinced you that he was actually worth the price after week one. Yeah, there's there's quite a few. Um, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily on the fence. I just I, I just wasn't aggressive enough. I guess really with. Uh, with the Buccaneers offense. I mean, you look at that trio of, uh, of Brady Gronk and AB. And I mean, first of all, all three were super cheap. Um, even in a super flex league with, if, if you're thinking about Brady, so, so easy to acquire. And, uh, I got a couple of, couple of shares of AB late in the, in the off season. Uh, but I wish it was a lot more now. And, um, <laughs> I think, same thing we talked about earlier, like the signs were there that, that they're going to run it back. They're going to continue to be aggressive. The, both those both these running backs stink, so they're going to rely on the passing game. Uh, Brady, I don't know, he, he somehow seems to be getting better and younger. I, I don't, <laughs> I, w- I wish I knew how that worked, but uh, whatever it is, is certainly working. So uh, those are a couple that come to mind. Um, Corey Davis is... I was not on the fence with him either because I was out. I was out on Corey out? Davis, uh, and I'm already regretting that. I was actually <laughs> regretting that in the uh, in the preseason when we we saw him getting peppered with targets. Um, <laughs> part of the, part of that was, I guess, some not some doubt in Zach Wilson, but you know, I kind of bought into the uh, the the belief or the the narrative that he he wasn't anything special, um, which was kind of what we heard early on. Um, so the, the more, the longer the off season went on and the preseason, especially, I, I started to buy into, um, into Wilson and that didn't transfer over to Corey Davis. I wish it would have. Uh, yeah. It's funny. The Antonio Brown thing, I, I was really aggressive acquiring him last year when he came back. So I was like, I get this kind of the same thing with Gronk, right? Like yeah. these players don't come back to sit on the bench. Like they're coming back to play. And so I was really aggressive getting him last year. And then when he's a free agent in the early off season, in my dynasty rankings, I had it in all caps. The only thing was in all caps. AB is the buy of the off season. You must buy mm-hmm. AB, go and buy AB. Why are you not buying AB? And then he resigned with the Buccaneers. And I was like, damn it. Like the, <laughs> the ceiling is gone. 
And then about a week ago, two maybe two weeks ago, I went into the patrons Discord and I was like, I have this feeling that Antonio Brown might just alpha Godwin and Evans and just, yeah. just be the best player in the offense. And there's nothing they can do about it. And he wasn't Godwin out targeted by a fair amount in week right. one. But I was like, I like I'd be a little bit cautious with Godwin right now. And I'd be going <sighs> to buy more A B because I think it, he's gonna just take over. Honestly, I mean, obviously I watched that entire game. We all did, but um when I looked at the box score and I saw how many targets Godwin had, I was actually shocked because that felt like it felt like AB dominated that game. Um, and I think a lot of games are going to feel that way this year. Uh, so yeah, uh, man, that's, he's a tough one. Uh, Mike, Mike Williams is probably another one that, that I, I didn't get enough of, you know, contract year, that whole narrative, new offensive coordinator hope ideally that's going to be a good thing it's it's not always but uh and, and obviously herbert um can can sling it williams was was cheap too and i i didn't invest there you know i i, I missed on that one i was out on twitter being like what, what like how is mike williams garnering any hype at this point in his career and then he was really good in week one and now i'm like yeah this is a bad take on my part well, yeah i mean they used him <laughs> differently which again new offensive coordinator uh, yeah if they if they give him some more short work, uh, which they did in week one, not not asking him to make the crazy play where he lands on his head every every time, then <laughs> you know that's that's going to be good all around, keeping him on the field and and giving him some production. Absolutely. So what what's the biggest lesson, or how how long have you been playing Dynasty for? I've, I've I never know. I've never known. Uh, I think. Oh man, I think oh two or oh three was my my first oh, year. Folks. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while. Almost, yeah. All right. So how, how did you get into Dynasty in the first place? So I, I actually played Dynasty before I played Redraft. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the weird ones. I think uh, I think my buddy Scott Fish is the same way. I believe I've heard him say that. But um, yeah, basically, a, a friend at work kept talking about this this fantasy football league he was in. And I, I knew what fantasy football was, but I I wasn't even really a football fan, honestly. I didn't grow up as a, as a football fan. I don't have... A favorite team. I still don't. Um, so, but what he was talking about making trades and draft picks and like, I loved all that stuff. You know, I, d- I did grow up playing Madden, uh, like a, a lot of people our age did. So everything he was talking about was like, that's, that's my language. So eventually I, it, it's so funny because I mean, probably for a year and a half, I said, if there's ever an opening in this, this league, this was a college buddies league of, of, a friend of mine, you know, if there's ever an opening, I want to be in this league. I want to do it. And finally there was. And of course, years after that, or months after that, I guess I realized there's a million leagues. I could have, I didn't have to wait for this one league to have an opening, but that's what I did. So uh, this, this was the biggest scam ever drew. You would not believe this. I'm, I get in this league. It was a 10 team league, moving to 12 teams, adding, adding two brand new teams, me and another guy. There was no, uh, there was no kind of, you know, dispersal draft or expansion draft. None of that. The other teams didn't have to protect any players they kept their full rosters and me and the new guy got to build our teams from the waiver wire we just picked up (laughs) 25 guys from the waiver wire that was our our team we got the last and second to last pick in the rookie draft not the first and the second like like it probably should have been and uh byron leftwich was my my first dynasty rookie pick this was Sadly, a one quarterback league that I was drafting Byron Leftwich in the first round with. 
but you know, I, I was I was instantly the most active manager in that league. You know, any any news that was breaking, I was on top of it. I was hitting the waiver wire. I was sending way too many trade offers every day. I'm sure those guys hated me because of some of those things. But um, you know, three years later, uh, or two or three years later, I, I won the league. You know, so I went oh, from wow. that waiver wire team to winning the league, and I won a couple times before uh, before I I left. And honestly, I think so much of that is just based on how active I was. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know more about the X's and O's of, of football than I really don't know more than anybody. I don't know that, that piece at all. I can't, I can't analyze a, a play call or, or anything like that, but I'm active and, and when things happen, I, I'm on top of it. And that's, it's not, not quite as true these days with too many leagues and, and other things going on. But uh, I, I do think it's a, a big key to uh, success in, in fantasy football. So did they at least give you like a free year? No, of course not. <laughs> this, I'm telling you, this was a scam and I was all, like all in for it. I, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, that is a, I that had is no a idea, deal I had no that idea what I was doing. I, I can see why you have uh, adopted the productive struggle. Like this, yeah, this was, is what you're born into in. it. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good point. It, it was, right. it was a productive struggle. It, it took a little longer than I would have liked. <laughs> Fair enough. So what, like you've been playing for 20 years, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in the time you've been playing? Um, man, it, it feels like there's a lot. And at the same time, that feels like a hard question. Um, <laughs> I, I would say just that there's, there's so many ways to win in dynasty. Um, uh, of course I, I love productive struggle. I don't mind losing for a year. Um, if that leads to championships and, and I get a lot of pushback on that, which I understand, but there's, there's so many strategies, so many ways that can be effective. And, um, you know, so, so to see people arguing about them is, is kind of silly to me, like play, you know, play the way that brings you enjoyment, mm -hmm. you know, to the game. This is, this is still a hobby for us and um, a, a side gig for you and I, and, and so many others <clears throat> that, you know, if it makes you happy to, to draft Trey Lance in the first round, do it. You know, if yeah. it, <clears throat> if you want to build your team around all, all guys that are 23 years old, go for it. And, and if that means you lose for a year or two, that's okay. No, I, I, that's a great point. Like <laughs> just enjoy your team. You know, right. like if you want to reach on the guy, cause you like the guy, just take them. Who cares? Like at the end of the day, if you lose, whatever, it's it's only money. And <laughs> like, and I mean, unless you're playing like really high stakes, which you know some people do, but for well, the sure. most part, Dif people different Twitter, different lessons for that. Yeah, for the most part, people are just playing to have fun, and it, it, at the end of the day, just enjoy the players that you drafted. Yeah, and it, it is more fun when you win, though. It is more fun when you win, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun when you like you know you have that guy that you're like, oh, I need to get that guy, and then you get that guy, and then he's good. On top of it all, like that's that's special. That's that's what I love. Like oh, reaching yeah. on or not even reaching. I like DeAndre Swift is one of my favorite or Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift last year. Mm -hmm. It's like you don't want to see Clatterus Larry and Jonathan Taylor, you want to trade down and get these guys. And then to see them be so good, I was like, This is awesome. This is why we play. It's so fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, totally you do you do feel a little a little vindicated with things like that. You know, you, you know, if you shoot your shot, if you make your case and then it, it kind of plays out that way. Um, it's not, it's not like a bragging thing or, or anything like that. It just, it just, you know, it feels good to, to get a couple right every once in a while. Absolutely. All right. Well, that, that is, that is it. That's the whole show sheet. We got through it all. Nice. So everyone, the listeners of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football, Football Podcast, again, this is Ryan McDowell at RyanMC23 on Twitter. Uh, follow him, and then also make sure you're subscribing to DLF football. They have 
basically every tool you can imagine. Uh, the ADP is second to none. The rankings, the the trade finder, the trade analyzer, the trade finder, they, like it's all great. And you guys are doing a great job over there. So yeah, anything that you need to add, Ryan? No, no, just uh, thank thanks for that. We we're working hard over there. To we're we're adding some new things soon, hopefully. Um, that I think you'll like those as well, Drew. And uh, no, right. appreciate your support for sure. Right on. All right. Well, that's it.